This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hello, everyone. Welcome. So the wait is over. The second season of The White Lotus is here. Mike White's Emmy-winning genius satire about wealth, privilege, and class. This season, we move from Hawaii to Sicily with a group of new visitors to the luxury resort White Lotus. Except for returning favorite actor Jennifer Coolidge's Tanya, the group of hotel guests arriving are played by a new stellar cast, including F. Murray Abraham, Michael Imperioli, Aubrey Plaza, and Haley Lou Richardson, to name a few. I caught up with two of the actors stirring things up off the coast of Taramina. The great Tom Hollander, who we know from Pirates of the Caribbean, In the Loop, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Pride and Prejudice. He plays Quentin, an English expat vacationing with his friends and his nephew, Jack, from Essex, played by up-and-comer Leo Woodall. Whenever I stay at a White Lotus, I always have a memorable time. Always. Welcome to the White Lotus in Sicily. La Dolce Vita. You guys are here to learn about your Sicilian roots. Sounds like a fun boys trip. Wasn't supposed to be a boys trip. We're on a family vacation right now, and it's just the three of us, because all the women in our family hate you. Please, can we just drop it? Now that he's loaded, I think he regrets marrying such a dud. What is going on with you? There's a reason they invited us here. It's like you sold your company, you got rich, and now he's your best friend. Are these the kind of people we're going to be hanging out with now? Did you vote, babe? Be honest. I did. Didn't I? Tom Hollander and Leo Woodall, thanks so much for joining me. Now, this new season of White Lotus is diving into privilege, but also what showrunner Mike White's calls, and I quote, Classic sexual politics, the naughty subversive stuff, end quote. Tell me how Quentin and Jack fit into this scenario. Tom, how about Quentin? Well, um, I think one, an interesting thing that Quentin's, when Quentin's gang enters the story, there's a lot of sexual politics. The sexual politics that you encounter in the first few episodes is heterosexual. I think I'm. If I may make some major plot errors, so please intervene, anyone, if I say something ridiculous. But there's, and it's it's full of anxiety. The heteros, the straight world is full of anxiety, and the gay world that comes in with Quentin and his his coterie is fun. And in this world, uh, and isn't there isn't an anxiety in it? Um, they are having free in their existence apparently and and that's why Jennifer's Tanya kind of runs off with them because uh, she can escape she can she seems to be able to escape all the things that we've seen torturing her in season one and are continuing to torture her in season two there's recently been so much interest in the underbelly of the 1%. I mean, Succession, we have Triangle of Sadness, and of course, you know, White Lotus, season one and two. What is this ever fascination with the super, super rich? Well, uh, that's a very good question. I'm, if it's true, what you're saying, it probably is. I mean, because, because it's obscene, I suppose, because we're all, because the vast majority of the world is not, well, the 99% are 
are all living in a world that is uh, increasingly anxious making, isn't it? So we're all frightened by all the existential threat threats. And there is a conspicuous, conspicuous minority that we, I suppose, are intrigued by because they seem to be living in a parallel and completely different world. We're also overly, people have become obsessed with, I suppose Western society has become increasingly materialistic over the last, mm -hmm. since the Second World War. People have just been obsessed with what they can get and how much they can get and how much stuff and how many handbags and labels. And so the people who are in the 1% are the people who seem to have made it. They seem to have fulfilled that agenda. And uh, everyone from, you know, the Kardashians to the 22-year-old tech billionaires. Um, so we're kind of, so we want to see because we're already reading about them. We're already looking at them at, in every advertising hoarding. We're, we're, we're looking at them in Hello Magazine. Their Instagram is constantly full of people pretending that they're in the 1%, even if they're not, or sort of living as close to it in pictorial terms as possible. Look at me on this boat. Look at me next to this. I don't know. And it's glamorous, isn't it? And we want to see that it's, I suppose it's, in the white lotus it's particularly satisfying to see how miserable it really is <laughs> yeah mike white opens that door a little bit for us leo he's some sort of genius talking about mike white he doesn't use a traditional writer's room he's in complete control of every facet of the show i understand writes it directs it tell me a little bit about how his process how does he survive this i know he was a contestant on survivor so he had some skills there but <laughs> Pretty far as well. I think I think he nearly won. Um, yes. Yeah, but a few of the other cast members were, were glued to it. Um, honestly, it, it surprised me a lot how how kind of just chilled out he was most of the time. I mean, he 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 might he was probably hella stressed as well. But you know, I I remember thinking he's written this this incredible piece. He's created this incredible thing. But he's so just kind of like, yeah, I want you to kind of, you know, go with your gut and try try things and yeah, whatever, yeah. And then when he likes something, he'll move on. And it was it was kind of amazing to watch, you know, this this thing unfold with him at the front of it. <laughs> he was just really cool about everything. Tom, I've heard you speak really interesting about. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. The aspects of creating unlikable characters. And you were saying that it doesn't matter if they're likable 
or unlikable as long as they're relatable. How is Quentin a relatable character? I genuinely don't know. I can't think, Leo, can you think how Quentin is relatable in any way? He's uh, not, he's, he's, I don't know. I think he's, um, he's, I, he's an arm around your shoulder a little bit. You say an arm around his shoulder? Yeah. Ah, okay. I see. But he's also, he's more aspirational than he is relatable. Oh. And I think the thing with Quentin is he, 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 everything is, well, he appears the answer to Tanya's problems. But then as we, as the series develops, we see that the appearance and reality are not exactly the same thing. So, uh, but he is also a human being and he talks interestingly about affairs of the heart and he is also subject to loneliness. He in his own way is broken, but you don't, you don't learn that for a bit. So I suppose I could tell you how he's relatable, but I'd have to ruin the story. Okay, so that- well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> the show is also dealing with cultural politics in a sense. You have the Americans, um, the Americans and the Brits ascending on Italy, so to speak, and Sicily in particular, a special place. Were there any sort of cultural mishaps or misunderstandings also behind the scenes, Leo, when you, all of you met? Apart from the occasional language barrier, most of, I mean, we were hopeless at speaking Italian. Um, we were there <laughs> four and a half months or so, and we should have <laughs> no. a bit more. I did Duolingo. I was, no, I was doing French on Duolingo. It was awful. French? Yeah, well, when you were supposed know. to be doing Italian. Well, yeah. that's the reason it was going so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still embarrassed about it. Well, Italian. I've got it because I'm here, so I'll do French at the same time. Just ambition. Well, I learned I learned Stono Crema, and then I thought, well, that's that's me done now. I saw everyone on the Italian side get excited by this word Stono Crema. We were all confused culturally by our expectation of it being very sunny and warm, and yeah, it was like stormy. Yeah, it was like Northern Europe. Sorry, I didn't get it. Oh, it was it was well, cold it was because of yeah, because of the climate change. Nothing was as you expected it to be, so it was rather like Northern Europe until about May. And then suddenly it was, it went from being chilly, chilly, wintry, wet weather to suddenly being 40 degrees without any spring in between. I went and explored a little bit on our days off and saw a Sicily that we don't really represent just because a lot of Sicily is very, other outside the tourist zones, Sicily is much bigger than you think. And yeah, Taormina, where you were, is specifically the, very the, different from Palermo. But the bits in between, it's much poorer. And then you realise, oh, well, of course, this is why people left and went to New York and became characters in Francis Ford Coppola films, because, <laughs> um, because it's tough, quite tough, Sicily. You have some incredible co-stars here. I mean, Jennifer Coolidge is an international treasure of comedy. Can you talk a little bit, Thomas, to working with Jennifer Coolidge, for example? Yes, it was uh, it was amazing because I, I, I had been a big fan of, well, I was a big fan of White Lotus 1 and uh, was not dreaming when I was watching it that I, I would be in it. So uh, when I walked, when I first did scenes with Jennifer, I felt as if I'd um, won some sort of virtual reality competition in which you get to be acting with a character that you know and have thought about. So I I got lost in her face, really, which is what you do when you're watching it anyway. It's it's full of um, 
pain and beauty and, and astonishing comic timing. And so I, I actually had to be careful to not get lost in my <laughs> fandom of her and to retain my own kind of space. She and this character are quite, uh, share a lot of stuff and she's an, it's an iconic performance and being so close to it day after day was a great privilege is a simple answer. I love how you said that you um, got lost in her face. That's really, when you say it, I understand exactly what you mean because as a viewer, you do as well. I understand that you're going to be playing Truman Capote. So you're doing these one percenters many times here coming on. <laughs> it's your new thing. Yeah, I mean, it's this year. That's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, no, that, that's, that's true. I mean, well, yes. I mean, Truman Capote is an outsider who... Well, I, everyone is, aren't they? This is the thing is, the one percenters, yes. one percenters are all human beings, aren't they? That's the thing. I mean, we can talk about them as the one percenters and that makes them, that makes them some sort of tribe, but they're not really. I mean, if you, of course, they're just all individuals with their own. And Truman Capote, in a way, I, I don't, I think of him as a, well, I'm just getting into it. He feels like a desperate figure. He doesn't feel like a person who's enormously privileged that so he was obsessed with privilege himself right it's more in that direction yeah and he's addicted to it in a way that ultimately destroys him um which i suppose could be said for all of us i'm addicted to this show and i can't wait to see what happens with your characters and and where mike white and you guys go with this thank you so much for your time thank you thanks for your questions Thank you to Tom Hollander and Leo Woodall. The White Lotus premieres on HBO Max. And thank you so much for listening. Pop Culture Confidential is a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.